There are many rivalries in football, and then there is this rivalry, the standout, the number one, the old firm. Larson. Oh, he's in. Hendrik Larson. That is sensational. Rangers. Barisic asking the question again. Catch it. He's done it. This is Tony Watt. He's done it. This is the stuff of legends. Here's Mackay. Welcome back to the What The Fork podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. Today's guest is, in my opinion, far and wide the best commentator of all time. The voice of the old firm is Ian Crocker, and I'm sure it's going to be absolutely sensational. But firstly, Ian, how are you doing now? You all right? I'm not bad, and after that intro, I'll be sticking to checking the post here. Cheers for that. <laughs> <laughs> first things first, I think we spoke a little bit off air. It's been... it's. A weird few months would be an understatement, but not least in, in football media. Um, obviously, I've been at, at Middlesbrough and we're just getting back into it and people are sanitising the goalposts and all that kind of thing. Um, you're obviously involved in it as well and have been since the return. But what's it been like for yourself, being back in games without any fans? It's been really strange. I did quite a few games in England before the Scottish season started. A similar story down there. Um, to be fair, the clubs and the players have, have mostly been pretty good and got on with it but the circumstances are just so strange you can never get never get used to an empty stadium possibly even more so in Scotland because of the pure noise and passion that uh, the fans bring you know it's, it's been really weird sitting in Celtic Park and an empty stadium sitting at Tannadice the Dundee United here was where normally there'd be a cracking atmosphere um even Livingston Rangers yesterday, Rangers would have brought thousands along. So I can't get used to it. I was doing Hibs Motherwell on Saturday and they had a load of cardboard cutouts in the stand. And I found myself walking past cutouts of Andy Murray, Jamie Murray, Josh Taylor, Dugray Scott, 33 kangaroos and several dogs. And I thought, yeah, I'm not going to get used to this ever, for sure. Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't work at all. Um, like I, I think the first few games, obviously the Bundesliga when it came back was was quite good fun. And I think it was the Dortmund game was the first game back that I officially watched against Schalke. And it was, it was all right for the first few weeks because we were literally stuck indoors. But I think, I can't remember how long it's been back now, but it's it's got a bit of a shelf life, this no fans thing, doesn't it? It feels like. Yeah, I mean, the sooner we can get we can get the fans back, the better. I mean, it's a privilege to be in the game, in the stadiums, doing the games. But it, like I say, it's, it's nothing without the fans, and that's uh, we knew that anyway. But it's, we've been certainly been given the proof uh, since football has returned. Whether it will happen soon, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't look very promising on that front in terms of certainly full houses could be a long way away. But that's for other people to decide. But even if we get a few back through the gates, it'll be something. What is the, um, I mean, obviously the process of uh, your job and, and your role previously before COVID happened would be sort of going into the stadium, picking up a mic and, and commentating alongside all the research and stuff that you do. But what's the process for you going into a stadium now for like games like Rangers, Celtic, obviously bigger stadiums? Do you have to go through a whole protocol, a whole rigmarole or what, what goes yeah, on? Yeah, basically you, uh, you get your temperature tested to make sure you're okay and you have various uh, forms to fill in to, to obviously say that you've had no symptoms and the like. 
And then really, uh, you know, in, in normal times, we would actually probably hover around the tunnel area, uh, waiting for teams to arrive, have a chat with the managers. Now, of course, that's the red zone, and fair enough, you can't go anywhere near there. So basically, I've been turning up at, at grounds, and, and really all you can go and do is sit on the gantry and wait. And you can't, I know there's no traffic going to uh, games, obviously, but you can't trust the motorways around uh, the UK. So you still got to get to a game about three hours early. So I found myself sitting on a gantry for three hours, having done all my prep and everything, just waiting for the game to start. So that in itself is is a bit weird. But, uh, you know, everybody has, everybody's in the same boat. We've all got to get on with it. Um, it's just strange times that, you know, in a few years' time, we'll look back on and wonder how we uh, how we did get on with it. But as I say, hopefully soon, you know, something approaching near normal would be a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose with Scottish football as well, really, really recent news. There was a bit of, a bit of worry, I think, maybe last week when Nicola Sturgeon gave us a yellow card, so to speak, um, that it might be cancelled altogether. We we delighted to see that that wasn't drastic action that was taken because of the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, um, just when you think you've heard it all in Scottish football, you know, something like that incident happens with uh, Bolly Bollingoli and it, you just, you can't really comprehend it. You know, embarrassing really for him, for Celtic, for Scottish football, for all of us really, because, you know, I, I did uh, probably a couple of months of matches in England in the Championship and Premier League and we kind of got through them unscathed and in Scotland we couldn't get through one week or two, so... You know, we just hope that everyone... To, to be fair, let's be honest about this. The absolute majority of players have been terrific. They've, they've done what they've had to do. Um, but, yeah, we, we could be one more strike and we're out, which would be a real shame for everyone who's put so much into getting the season restarted. So we just got to hope everyone plays ball now and, uh, and does what they have to do. But, uh, listen, we didn't have any football for five months and there were still back-page headlines galore in Scotland. It's kind of what we do. But personally, I prefer to talk about the actual football. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was going to say, I don't know what it is, but someone, someone posted a, a video the other day and it was Father Ted, obviously one of my favourite TV shows. It's not my favourite. And it was Dougal with the big red button that said, do not press. And it says the equivalent of Scottish football. It sometimes feels like they're desperate to press that red button and just self-destruct. But thankfully, it's it's stayed where it is. The football's still going. Um, and there's, there's plenty to talk about on the pitch, isn't there? So it's, it seems to go back to normality in that sense that there's there's more football being talked about with the Rangers game yesterday, Celtic last week. And we might actually have a title challenge this year, eh? Yeah, we might do. Um, obviously, a bit of a disappointment for Rangers yesterday, and I do feel, uh, well, Stephen Gerrard will, will know that those are the games that they have to be winning. I mean, Livingston defended magnificently, in fairness, although they did have six at the back of points <laughs> to do that. But, uh, you know, you, you have got to... We saw it with Kilmarnock against Celtic as well, in, in fairness. Um, but you, you have to find a way to uh, to break those teams down eventually. And I think what... I wouldn't ever speak to Stephen Gerrard. He's always very honest after games. And, I think he knows he he has actually got the players who can do that, but they just didn't do it yesterday. They came very close. Barisic free kick, terrific save from Street, the keeper, and uh, you know, great chance for Ryan Kent at the end. These are you know, it's nearly but not quite moments. But um, obviously, they could have opened up an eleven-point gap on before Celtic playing again, but uh, that won't be happening now. Yeah, I think it's we again. We spoke a fair about that. I think with. The title challenge this year. I think what Rangers need to do is maybe win more of those games than draw them, and, and time will tell. But I mean, before that game, Rangers have looked good and, and Celtic have looked very good as well. So it seems like if they both continue in that vein with less of the results that they've just recently had, we'll probably have one of the closer title races we've had in a few years. And, and hopefully so, because it's, it's good for the neutral, isn't it? So 
Yeah, well, as a neutral, although nobody ever believes I am, I really <laughs> get a, a proper good title race, even going down to the wire. It'll be it'll be magnificent. Um, and you know, it's it's both Celtic and Rangers have had a slip up each, so who knows? Um, but yeah, I hope we hope we get a good old race to, to keep us going throughout the season. Yeah, fingers crossed. Now, obviously, as everyone knows that listen to the show, we do like to delve into the guests' history and go right back to the start and at the beginning. A little bit different with this one because, you know, if you're speaking to a footballer, nine times out of ten, you ask when they first kicked a football. But commentating, obviously, I think we all do it when we're playing FIFA or a football manager or during the game or whatever it may be in the, in the privacy of our own home. Um, but what was your journey to becoming a commentator? How did that happen? Yeah, I did score a, a cracking goal on the school playground once, but that was as good as it got for me playing-wise. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I grew up in an era where uh, basically Radio 5 Live was actually on Radio 2 at the time, Sport on 2, and a guy called Peter Jones. Tremendous voice uh, commentating, and uh, he's on he's on Google if anyone wanted to hear it. Um, taken from his too young, sadly, but terrific voice, and just gave me the idea that I wouldn't mind doing that. And I was growing up in a little village in... Dorset, a uh, sleepy little village. So there wasn't much scope to do that. So I kind of moved to London, got an office job, um, potted about there for a few years, got a job at the BBC, but couldn't really get into the broadcasting side of it and ended up getting a job at West Ham as their Tannoy announcer, who were my team. So yeah. That was a double bonus. From there, met uh, Jonathan Pierce, who was running Capital Radio, now at the BBC. Uh, we had a really good team at Capital. Um, and from there... They took over BRMB Radio in Birmingham and uh, started doing stuff for them, which was a great, still is a great football patch. But at the time, in the 90s, it was Big Ron Atkinson and Barry Fry, who were two terrific characters. And started doing a bit for Sky then as, on a freelance basis. Um, but the, uh, as far as the Scottish is concerned, 1998, when the SPL started, but I actually did a game before that for Grampian Telly, because I've always had Scottish bosses stra- uh, down the line, strangely. Can't get away from them. <laughs> and uh, I did a Aberdeen Dunfermline playoff for Grampian in 1995. Uh, you know, that was the, the first Scottish experience that I had. Talking about can't get away from Scottish bosses. I'm like that with Scottish women. So, but hopefully you just stick with this. That one. Might be better to be fair. <laughs> I can't complain. I can't complain. Um, talking about um, you know you were on the Tannoy at uh, at West Ham and, and that journey that you had. But you said you're from Dorset. Now, which which part of Dorset are you from? Weymouth. How close is that to Pool? Not far. Yeah, Pool's a bit more sort of Bournemouth away, but uh, not that far away. An hour, an hour or so. Because I used to, I used to be at a bath bomb cellar. Um, and right. the, the city of Poole is just a big wider range of smells of, of like the lush shop down the high street. And I, I absolutely loved it. But West Ham's not that close to it. So why West Ham? Well, I was following Weymouth, my local team, who mm-hmm. played in the league and were pretty good when I was growing up, uh, about sort of towards the end of the 70s, early 80s. A lot of uh, players played for them that went on to greater things, like Graham Roberts, obviously at Rangers, uh, Andy Townsend, Steve Claridge. Yeah. Quite a few, actually, that went on to, to do a lot in the game. But anyway, I was nine years old, supporting them, and I thought, I, I need to follow a professional team as well. And West Ham had the same colours as Weymouth. Um, and that really was a... I, I wish things could be that simple. When you're nine years old, you just go, yeah, that'll do. I looked at a couple of their results. They won 5-3 and 6-2 in two matches running. So I thought they're the team for me. They won the FA Cup in 75, the first year I was supporting them. Won it again in 1980. Um, so that was how it came about, really. We've not won much since, having said that. But hey, you know, you make your choice and you've got to stick with it. I'm a Sunderland fan. I can't point any fingers at any <laughs> team across the land. Um, I'll openly admit, 
like when I've played on on computer games growing up, I've always had my own little commentary, very much on my own. But if you're thinking about going into commentary when you were younger, before you even thought of it, really, um, did you ever used to just comment on the games when you're watching West Ham to yourself? A little bit, yeah, a little bit. I remember watching the 1980 FA Cup final in the living room and probably having a little go there. Um, yeah, I was also sort of quite keen on working in newspapers at the time as a journalist. I used to make my own newspapers up and all that. But um, yeah, I did a bit of, uh, when I moved to London, did a bit of hospital radio, which really got me into the uh, broadcasting bug. That was at Moorfields Eye Hospital in the city of London. And uh, it was kind of where you made all your mistakes, but uh, you were encouraged to uh, do whatever you want, really. And it was a great grounding. I'm not sure there's quite so many around these days, hospital radio stations, but it certainly was beneficial to me but yeah you uh I did as a kid certainly try and commentate probably quite badly some people might say I've not improved that much in fairness, <laughs> but uh yeah those, those were the days did you ever um obviously when you're, you're commentating and stuff like that uh when you got into it from a professional side of it and you started actually having games that you could record and things like that there'll be certain stuff I'll do with with media like an interview I've done for two or three minutes or maybe the way I've, I've angled a shot and you, and you watch it back and you repeat it but it's a little bit different when you're watching a video on your own work, listening back to your own voice sometimes. I, I hate listening back to my own podcast because I hate, you know, hearing myself. But do you have to listen back to the commentary to give yourself like pointers on where you think you could go better or where you could improve? I'm the same. I hate I hate listening, hate hearing my own voice in fairness. Um in the early days, quite a bit because you were I was still learning and I was kind of switching between radio and television, which is very different. I still do things on telly now that probably you know i don't need to do because people can see what's happening so it's it's a different art to working on radio but yeah quite a lot in the early days i watched things back and you you live and learn and still now i mean i probably would watch an old firm game back just to make sure i actually managed to spot everything that was going on or something like that not as much these days because you know you, you're kind of in the swing of things but in the early days you, but even now you you still live and learn there are some phrases there was one i was trying to think of it um, uh, I think it might have been made, made his presence felt. I found myself using it on about three goals <laughs> in four weeks. I thought I must stop that. Uh, so, you know, you never stop learning in this business. You never stop learning. Absolutely. Um, is there anyone that you looked up to and, well, not so much looked up to, took advice from? Obviously, you have come across many different people and, and many great and iconic commentators. Is there anyone that you specifically went to for advice and what was the best bit of advice that they give you? Not particularly, but I followed, when I was growing up, obviously, in England, it was, I mean, Scotland had some great commentators, but they were, mm-hmm. risk of making them sound old now, they were before my time coming up to Scotland. So in England, it was really only uh, John Motson, Barry Davis, and Brian Moore. And, uh, you know, everyone had their favourites. I, I thought they were all very good. There's some other good guys around in the regions as well who were excellent, but uh, probably Brian Moore for me, because I got to meet him. I covered the World Cup in the USA in 94 for Capital Radio and got to meet Brian. He was just a very pleasant, humble guy, sat next to Big Ron actually having a cuppa in in the stadium in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, He was a good guy, but never really for advice. To be fair, I came across John Motson and Barry Davis a fair bit as well, and they were were always good and and brilliant. so, yeah, but I think you have to uh, sort of be your own commentator. <clears throat> and I think commentary, the art of commentary has changed a lot. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Those guys probably use fewer words than we do, and, and it works. Some of their lines, when you hear them now, fabulous. And uh, the old boss, who was also Scottish at Sky, said uh, less is more sometimes, and, and he's right. But I still probably talk too much. <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I think 
modern-day commentators generally do that more than the guys who... I mean, sometimes they'd leave a pause, you know, back in the day. David Coleman was good at that as well, and give it the old 1-0, and it was, it was good. I think commentating has changed, but everybody's got different styles, and there's certainly room, room for all that. As Barry Davis uh, once said, one man's commentator is another man's pain in the... You know what? So, uh, and he's right, you know, some you like, some you don't... <laughs> With um, commentary, obviously, it's now kind of commonplace almost to have a... And I don't know if my memory is just getting shady in my 30s or what, but um, back in the day, I always remember the commentator was almost specifically on his own with a, the co-commentator very, very rarely interjecting or, or anything like that. Now, nine times out of ten, and especially with yourself, you've got a co-commentator as an, an ex-player or, or someone who used to be involved with both the teams. When you started, was it always co-commentating or did you kind of go it alone? I think when we did, uh, if it was a live game, certainly there was a there was co-com. But I did a lot of Saturday games. In fact, a lot of Man United the year they won the treble, where there were kind of more three o'clock kickoffs. Yeah. Uh, back then, and I was lucky enough to do that United terrific United team a few times. I was on my own then for the Saturday afternoon games, which basically were turned into just highlights. Um, but yeah, generally for the live games, there's always been a co-com, and um, and you know they. We shout out names and they've got to do the instant analysis. I always think they've got the uh, slightly harder part of the uh, the bargain. But I've been lucky to work with a, a good few over the years and I've stayed uh, pretty close to all of them. How is it you start building up a relationship with people? Because I suppose there's people, and you know, Don Goodman's one of them that you commentate with, a great guy being a guest of the show as well. Um, and you do eventually build up an affinity with someone. It's just the way that it kind of is. But when you first meet someone, do you meet them sort of outside in the press office, have a bit of a chat with them about how you're going to do it? Do you get in contact beforehand? Or do you just meet there in the seat and just have to kind of put it together? No, I pretty much ring them uh, in the week, in the build-up, and, and have a chat and uh, to, you know, so that we don't end up crashing each other all the time. But that comes with working over a period of time as well. And these guys know what they're doing. I've done uh, so many games with Don, uh, Chris Kamara back in the day when I covered the championship for four years. He was co-com, uh, full of passion, bouncing around on the uh, gantries, making the cameras wobble and um, and uh, many others. Uh, so the more you do, I mean, working regularly now with Andy Walker and Davey Proven, I'd be, I'd be disappointed if we ever crashed each other, put it that way, because we know when, we know when, each other is doing what they do and you know it's unusual it does happen occasionally but not very often I didn't realize you had um, such a long time with Chris Kamara um let's be honest he's, he's one of the funniest like best he's the best kind of commentator or co-commentator you could get because you don't know what's going to come out of his mouth but um is he that and I'll use the word zany outside of the uh, outside of the commentary game is he is he that funny yeah, he is. He's, he is one of the <laughs> one of football's funny guys. Now, uh, I spent quite a lot of time with him. We, we did four years covering the championship, 2002-2006. It was when the finals were actually played at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, which was a fantastic arena for football, sadly underused for football these days. But yeah, um, yeah. so we always had a good end of season, end of season go at it down there. But uh, yeah, travelling the country... What you uh, see on the telly is what Cammy is. There's no, uh, there's no difference, and uh, you know, there's never a dull moment. Put it that way. What's your best memory even from the time that you spent under him? I just remember doing games on the gantry with Cammy, and he was so when he was watching replays, he was he was like he was kicking the ball, <laughs> and uh, or probably sticking a tackle in, knowing Cammy, uh, and he was literally jumping around on the gantry. He was like so excited and. Uh, and that's how he is. And uh, yeah, it was good fun. And uh, I still see him now and again here and there when we are uh, past cross. And as I say, he's always good for a, a big laugh. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, going back a little bit, we touched on uh, the fact that you're a West Ham fan like from Dorset, but huge affinity with Scotland. I um, I remember watching the the Open Goal podcast that you did with with M. Cy Ferry. Oh, I yes. remember listening back and thinking, "Hang on, he's picked up a, a Glaswegian twang there." Um, now, your wife was originally from from Dundee. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, she wasn't there for long though. The family left quite early. Nothing personal, Dundee, but they uh, they moved south. <laughs> So when it comes to your journey to Scotland, I mean, when you're from Dorset, which I know I'm from the north of England, obviously, and lived in Scotland, is not too far for me, but um, Dorset slash London, down south, all the way up to Scotland, was it just an opportunity that you had or was it something that you wanted to do? Did you want to go to Scotland and sort of carve out a career in there? Well, I just got offered the the SPL in 98 by, uh, uh, by Sky and I thought, why not? You know, it's... Uh, Celtic Rangers, not just about them, I hasten to add, but I like the look of it and um, never thought I'd be doing it 22 years later. Um, and yeah, I've kind of been working my way out the country because I went from Weymouth to London to Capital, West Ham, and then to Birmingham and then Scotland. Uh, and uh, I've certainly grown to love the, the country over the years. Love going down Loch Lomond Way, doing a bit of walking um, and so on. So yeah, huge affinity with the country to the extent that when I even do the national team, I feel like people say it's a bit corny and it probably does sound a bit corny, but you do become like a Scotland fan because I've covered Scotland for 22 years and I know that's the duration that they haven't qualified for a major tournament, but it's not my fault. Um, but you just want them to make it to a tournament. I love uh, love the people, um, predominantly based in Glasgow, great city, and I uh, love a bit of Loch Lomond. So yeah, huge affinity with uh, with Scotland. You're absolutely right about the, the Scottish national team, 100%. I mean, I'm, I'm English. Obviously, I, my time growing up was back end of the 1990. I barely knew what was going on, but 1996, year 96. And um, obviously, the World Cup since then, the World Cup just gone. And, you know, I am predominantly an England fan, but I've been actually to more Scotland games because my house used to be at Hamden and um, my girlfriend's part of the Tartan Army and, and so on and so forth. And I understand where you're coming from with that. People don't really believe what you're saying. When you say that you know you're a Scotland fan, you want to see them do well and you want to see them qualify, but you really do. There's there's something quite endearing about that Tartan Army Scotland fan uh, not qualifying for so long. And when I think when you live there, it's just one of those things, isn't it? But you said you're you're based in Glasgow. Um, do you live in Glasgow? Or do you still live down in England and travel up? Uh, no, no, uh, I'm kind of uh, well. I do a bit of both, put it that way. But uh, yeah. certainly in and around Glasgow, a, a fair bit, and. Um, you know, it's uh, it's obviously handy for getting around here and there. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just a wonderful country, and and uh, we, there's so many parts of it that I haven't actually seen. I've seen a fair bit, but um, when the time uh, when there's a bit of time, uh, I would love to sort of do a proper uh, travel all around Scotland because, as we all know, there are so many uh, great great sights to see. No, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird one in a sense because you're one of the most recognisable voices in Scottish football, if not the most recognisable. But when you're looking at the fact that you commentate, when you're commentating, you don't actually see your face. So there'll be some people who won't actually recognise you from face, but only from voice. So when you're yeah. in Glasgow, does anyone ever actually recognise you and, and come up and give you one of your famous lines? Because there's been a few, hasn't there? Yeah, they do, funnily enough. Um, I, I think it's uh, it's such a goldfish bowl. Glasgow, everyone seems to, to know everyone else. Uh, yep. you know, I was picking up the in-laws at Christmas from Glasgow Central and, about four lads in a pub started shouting at me to uh, come across for a, a photo. It certainly surprised the in-laws anyway. I was coming out of Glasgow Central as well another time when some young lad started 
shouting that is sensational in the line for the Henrik Larsson goal yeah. all those years ago and everyone was looking going what's going on here as he's uh, shouting at me and getting his uh, getting his picture taken as well a selfie taken so yeah to be fair uh, it does happen occasionally and uh, you know and, uh, I'm probably quite shy and humble when it comes to all that but it's nice that uh, people are generally pretty good to you when you do uh, get stopped or noticed and it's funny how people pick up on the voice because yeah they don't know the face uh, that well which is probably a bonus for them uh, but yeah, sometimes you, you do uh, get recognised recognised by the voice, which is quite humbling, but also a bit weird. Yeah, it's it's funny though. I mean, I suppose that's why you get into the commentary, isn't it? In a way, it's like when I think of as a Sunderland fan, iconic commentary normally has come from Simon Crabtree, um, a fantastic bloke, great guy, and commented on the, the Sunderland games, and, and also Guy Mowbray, great, uh, growing up, was a, a Sunderland commentator, obviously a tremendous commentator now as well. But there's certain things that they've said that like sticks in my mind as like some of the best times of my life, and certainly with with football. So is it quite humbling that there's people that will shout things at you in the street, not just because they want to shout things at you in the street, but because they remember where they were, how you said it, and what it meant to them at that point. I suppose in a way you're you're part of someone's life without them actually meeting you. So it kind of makes sense that they want to say hello, get a photo. But is it quite humbling to kind of think of it that way? Extremely humbling because, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to do a job where you sort of capture the moment. Um, and, you know, that Henrik Larsson goal, that is sensational. I thought it was pretty, uh, I was always told to keep it simple and that was pretty simple. Henrik did the hard bit and it was just a wonderful goal. And yeah. I got lucky in the 2002 Scottish Cup final when right at the end when I said, is there going to be a twist in the tail? And Peter Lovenkrantz popped up and scored the winner in stoppage time from Neil McCann's excellent cross. Um and I know a few Hibs fans are quite happy with a few lines in the 2016 final to the point where they've got it as a ringtone or they've had a tattoo done or something like that. I've seen the pictures. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's weird because, uh, like I say, uh, I'm not really in it for that, but it's nice that people recognise it. And But it is extremely humbling, but almost a bit embarrassing when, when people do it. But, uh, you know, at least it shows you coming up with a line. But listen, when... When you wait, when you when nobody's been able to say Hibs have won the Scottish Cup for 114 years, I thought if it's going to happen on my shift, I better have something memorable to say about it. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it is it is very uh, good of people when they uh, when they quote lines at you, if a little strange sometimes when they shout in the street. You said before um, about how some fans think you're you're biased to, to sort of one side, and that's, it's funny enough. I spoke to Don Goodman about this, and a lot of people think he's biased against Leeds, biased against Sunderland, and basically the clubs that he's played for. And he he kind of said, you know, sometimes because I care, I'm just I'm just harsher on them sometimes, and I don't mean to be. I'm just probably care more, so therefore I'm a bit more critical sometimes. But obviously he's a huge Leeds fan. Um, obviously you have no affinity whatsoever. Um, but I know living in Glasgow, people want you to have an affinity. Do you ever get short shrift from either side who thinks that you're a Celtic fan or a Rangers fan or you've got a bias towards one of them? Oh, yeah. Definitely on Twitter after an all-phone game. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> I, sometimes I have to put my phone down and uh, yeah. have a glass of red wine instead and ignore it. Uh, a lot of the time it's 50-50, which is fine by me because it shows that you're going down the middle. Um, more often than not, uh, accused of being a Celtic fan of late, but I think that's because they've been winning all the trophies. You yeah. know, and... Uh, if Rangers started winning a few, I'm pretty sure it would swing the other way. Um, to me, it's all part of the fun, as long as it stays as a bit of banter. But uh, however many times I say I'm generally neutral, you know, I've come from a little village in Dorset called Sutton Points, uh, as I say, supported Weymouth, then West Ham. 
But even sometimes when you say I supported West Ham, they'll say, oh, but Frank McAvenny and Stuart Slater must make him something fucking all. So listen, I've learned that you can't win in Glasgow, but I am generally neutral. And I've, I don't know any commentator who would ever show any form of bias whatsoever. But we're always going to get accused of it. So you kind of uh, take it as part of the, part of the fun. If that's the yeah. right word. <laughs> I think so. I was going to say when you said um, when I, when I asked the question, I was almost expecting you to say yes on Twitter because Twitter can be Twitter can be a great place. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, it's very much got a, a tendency to to do that absolutely. But um, I didn't introduce you as the voice of the old firm, which to me, you know, you are, and I think many other people have said that as well. But you touched on it as well before. You're also the voice of Hamden. Uh, you've commented on some absolutely huge games and. It's a funny old stadium because I've been there a few times myself, lived there directly next to it, pretty much my next door neighbour. Um, when it's rocking, it's absolutely rocking. I don't think I've ever seen a stadium explode more than when Lee Griffith scored against England. But what's been your favourite game that you've covered there or the favourite moment that you've had at Hamden? There's been a few. Um, you know, when they beat Holland, although the second leg went horribly wrong, of course. Um, the games where they've gone, you know, yet another nearly but not quite story like against Italy. I can't actually, uh, uh, I didn't do that uh, England game, sadly, but um, I can't think of uh, a one-off, but there's certainly been a few, and I agree. I, I, it's not the best layout of a stadium for me. I mean, compared to the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, which is utterly fantastic. Yeah. I wish we could have done something like that in, in Scotland. But um, but when it's full, the Titan Army you know, make up for it, and the place is jumping and bouncing. Um, it's ironic that it would have been full for the Israel playoff game uh, but now obviously won't be, uh, which is a shame. But um, yeah, it's, uh, listen, it, like I say, for me, the fans are a bit far from the pitch, but, you know, being the Tartan Army, that, that doesn't matter when the place is full, they make sure that place is rocking. Yeah, absolutely. I think I agree with you on that with Hamden. For me, it's, it's a little bit too far away. I think the, the thing with the England game was the fact that half of them were almost on the pitches for probably what brought them closer, but... Um, <laughs> Do you, do you think that Scotland, not not to move away from Hamden Park, but it could maybe do like with a revamp or, or something a bit different and maybe bring the fans closer to the stadium? Because I don't think we're the first people to say that, you know, Hamden could do with a few improvements. Yeah, I think, um, as I say, for me, the Millennium Stadium, people say about your favourite grounds and all that, and, and I have a few, but those playoff finals I did in the Football League in England with the Millennium Stadium had some of the best atmospheres that I've ever witnessed Um because the fans were right on top of the action. The stakes were high, obviously. Um, the fans were right there. You, and the, even commentating, you felt you were just, you felt you were right in the middle of it. And the, the seats were right up to the edge. And uh, obviously that makes such a difference. So I don't know if it's too late or whether we can afford to do anything with Hamden now. But uh, yeah, certainly I'd, uh, I'd prefer something myself. <laughs> modelled on the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff because I do think it's fantastic. Although it's ironic there's not much football, as I said earlier, played there these days. Because to me, I always go back to those four years of playoff finals and it was the perfect setting for games of such drama and the noise was was unbelievable. Yeah, it was a really good stadium. Um, and there's many like iconic moments that happened there with playoff games, incidentally. Um, in terms of Scotland as a team, you, you touch on the Israel game there, a game I have a ticket for. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. But I ask everyone that's got any association with Scotland. I've had the likes of Dick Gallagher on the show and whatnot. And, you know, me, myself, wanting to see Scotland qualify. What do you think? Do you think Scotland can qualify? I'm always, uh, I like to be positive. 
although we, I know we've been down this road so many times before, and you, you have a bit of faith, and then it's uh, we always say it's the hope that kills you with Scotland. Yeah, I think they've got a real good chance of getting past Israel. You know, um, uh, who, we, who Scotland seem to be playing loads of times in Nations League as well. Um, a great chance of getting through that game. Norway, Serbia away. Listen, it's going to be tricky, but you. you you got to win tricky games if you're going to make it to a tournament. I think when you look at the players that uh, I will say we have available now, that you know, there's got to be a good chance that it could finally happen this time around. Um, and I hope it does because uh, you know, generations of fans and players haven't made it to a tournament. I've been lucky to go to not that many tournaments because Sky don't cover the tournaments, but I went to two World Cups in USA and South Africa. And covered Euro '96 for radio as well in England, and uh, it's terrific. So I just hope, on behalf of everyone, that uh, that the players can can do it, and and I think we do have the players. You know, when it comes to to Scotland, I'm very much with that as well. I think Israel, I think they can get past, and I do think they have some really good players. Now, I think across the midfield, you've got a, a really really good side, um, and hopefully, you know, you said we. I feel like we as well. I really hope that they can do something. The only time my, my bias ever goes against Scotland is when they play in England, but that's natural. So, uh, any Scottish <laughs> listeners, please, please forgive me. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on when I'm doing a, an, an interview myself, obviously, I understand how long research takes. Um, I understand you've got to really put the effort in to kind of dig into someone's history and, and find maybe the, the nuggets that you know other people haven't. But as a commentator, you're exactly the same, um, and you're obviously far more experienced than I am. But um, what I can find quite difficult is sometimes you won't find out the team literally till just before kickoff. Um, I'm looking at you, Martin O'Neill. Uh, did you build up relationships with managers in the hope you could get the lineup early, such as Martin O'Neill? Yes. Well, when I covered the championship in England, I went around a lot of training grounds before the season started just to have a cup of coffee with the manager to, to build up a bit of trust. And that worked quite well because I think 20 of the 22 uh, championship managers gave me the team well in advance. Um, Craig Levine was, he was all right at hearts, but he he, he wasn't uh, quite as swift giving me the team at Leicester. And Glenn Hodder was the other one. He was just out of England, so I could understand his hesitancy. But you build up that trust. And in Scotland, certainly, um, I think these days everyone's quite cautious. It can be quite hard for managers to trust you, I, I, which is a shame because it's not like I'm going to go and tell the opponents what the team is. You know, we, sometimes yeah. we commentators love a head start on a team so they can get things ready, get sorted. Derek McGuinness, very good for doing it. Aberdeen scrolls it out on a bit of paper for me. Uh, Well-trained. And uh, back in the day, Walter Smith, I could ring at 8.30 on the, on the morning of the match, have a good chat for half an hour, give me the team. Um, you know, uh, Craig Brown was the same with Scotland. In fact, Craig used to give me the, all the uh, scouting reports they'd done on Scotland's opponents, which was which was a major bonus. Um, so he was good. And he used to ring in for a team. He'd say, which team do you want, ours or theirs? So he obviously was in the know generally. Uh, Martin O'Neill was was actually good. He, although he was a bit of a last-minute.com man for picking his team, he'd come into the stadium obviously fairly early and give you a, scrumple, a crumpled bit of paper with the team written on it. Sometimes he'd come scurrying back out and change it at the last minute or he'd send John Robertson back out. Uh, but yeah, he, he, was, he was a character, Martin. Saw him the other week. We had him as a guest at Celtic and uh, not changed one one bit. Absolutely fascinating character. But Walter was probably the one that, uh, Walter and Craig Brown, probably the ones that trusted me most with their teams. And, their, and that was always a, a big help. And also two great football guys to uh, chew the fat with. I think with, uh, with Martin O'Neill, I used to talk to a few Sunderland players who obviously played under him as well. And said he used to just read the, the, the team off, like, 
10 minutes before kickoff or something, just bit by bit by bit by bit. And you go that fast, you go like, who's playing here? Like, so you were probably having an advantage on most of the most of the players that were playing under him at the time. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> um, which managers could, would you, I mean, obviously that's from a professional perspective. You're doing it for professional reasons to be able to get your research and early and know what, what team's playing and what the lineup is. But was there any players that you'd go, uh, sorry, managers that you'd you know sit down with from a, a social perspective that because of that relationship you had professionally, you built up a really, really stru- um, solid friendship with? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you'd be staying in the same hotel as uh, the teams the night before matches. Happened a bit with Rangers. Uh, so you'd have a glass of red with them and, uh, and have a good old chat. Um, I did actually, Martin uh, O'Neill generally kept himself to himself, but I did yeah. know him reasonably well from his Leicester days, we interviewed him quite a bit. And I did have, there was one night, they were playing Hearts in a Scottish Cup game uh, on a Saturday lunchtime, and uh, we were in the same hotel as them in Edinburgh, and I uh, did have a good hour and a half with him, chatting about this, that and everything. Can't repeat uh, most of it, but it, <laughs> like I say, an utterly fascinating guy I'd have liked to have spent more time in his company but he was good to you but he wasn't really like that I think Martin and on a match day he was funny because although he would give you that crumpled bit of paper generally his focus was so much on the match that he could actually also walk past you and not even notice you because his mind was so set and focused on the game and uh, uh, yeah uh, but yeah there's been a few over the years Alan Pardew was always good to me to be fair I knew him from Reading days and he went to West Ham and they won a playoff which I commentated on, uh, commented, commentated on them losing and winning a playoff final. Um, and there's been many others over the years uh, who've been a, a big help and uh, a good company as well. Interesting character, Alan Pardew, and obviously being a, a Sunderland fan, we've, we've had our, our run-in, shall we say. But um, with Alan Pardew, I think he's got like a, people have this, every manager fans have an idea of, is Alan Pardew the man that people think he is? Or is he just a bit more of a, because he seems a bit of a jack the lad, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's, I, I've always found him great. I know some people haven't, but uh, I can only speak as a find that he's always been terrific to me, uh, for me. Um, uh, uh, yeah, he's, a lot of managers are like that, aren't they? You can take them or, or leave them. And uh, yeah, he he's always, was always good to me over the years. Um, so, you know, and I, and I think his track record was, was pretty good as well. You know, he, at Reading, when he was young, they were a good team to watch. West Ham, Sorted out eventually, got them up into the into the top flight, and Newcastle really, you know, when they when they were going well, you know, fair play, he did a job there as well in difficult circumstances. Um, but you know, he's a guy who, who I know he did a little stint in Holland last season, but surprised me that that he can't get back into the game. But maybe he will one day. Yeah, what do you make of his dancing in, in the cup final? Was it Palace? I think he was with. His what? Sorry, say that again. It's his dancing when uh, I think it was punching scored in the semi-final. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Man. Thankfully, I've never seen him do that before, and I hope I never see him do it do it again. But yeah. uh, listen, I like characters, and uh, Pards is, is to me he is a character. Talking about characters, I was literally just about to ask that. Who's been your favourite character from the old firm that you've come across and, and maybe interviewed, spoke to, or had a glass of red with? Um, well, uh, probably Coisty, uh when he was working with Walter. Uh, never a dull moment. Ian Durant as well was uh, was always good for a laugh. Um, and um, yeah, we seem to be sort of more in the more staying in the same hotel as Rangers than Celtic over the years. So uh, that's when the odd glass of red wine happened. But obviously, I worked with Coisty the other week at Aberdeen, and uh, he just never changes. He's the same with everyone. And uh, one of the one of the funniest guys around, uh, cracking jokes here there. And everywhere and doing a few quizzes, which he's pretty good at, annoyingly. He's um 
his Instagram is, is superb with his, I think it's his bird watch and stuff like that. And he's just one of those naturally funny storytellers. And I was hoping you were going to say that Ali was, you know, one of your, one of your favorites you'd come across. Because I think your first game, correct me if I'm wrong, would have been, was that Hearts versus Rangers? It was Hearts Rangers in 1998, just after the season after they met in the cup final that Hearts had won. And Christy was alongside me on the gantry then. And uh, funnily enough, he was uh, Aberdeen Rangers in the opening game of this season as well. He's going to be doing a bit for us throughout the course of the season. But yeah, I mean, you know, any sort of time in Ali's company, and you, you, you leave smiling, don't you? That's for sure. Yeah. Have you got any specific memories from Ali past recent whatever it may be that that you can repeat and you can say whatever you want on this um that's perhaps maybe your funniest memory or your best memory of him uh, there's just so many with Ali everything's sort of a laugh a minute non-stop I mean the other week at Aberdeen the night before we were having dinner and trying to I think it was 28 players who've played in Scotland who have played in a Champions League final and we spent most of the evening trying to get the ball and there's some absolute corkers Good luck to anyone having a go, because uh, you get you get there eventually, but it, should, it boy, takes a while, and there's a couple of surprise ones. So uh, he does like a quiz, and he's pretty good at them, as I say. Um, he was getting most of them, but we uh, we came up with a few. And, uh, you know, Priceless Evening is just great, great fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the funny thing I find about Koisty as well is he's still quite fond of Sunderland, isn't he, because of his time when he was there. Does he ever sort of bring that up? Because I know he used to have, I think, tickets at the Stadium LA or possibly Roker Park before, obviously... Um, uh, junior's retirement sorry did you still ever bring stories from Sunderland up not, not so much from Sunderland but I uh, I myself I always quote one of the best games I ever covered was at uh, Stadium of Light with one of the best atmospheres and that was when they beat Chelsea 4-1 in 99 I think it was Peter what a day. I was there. Super Kev 4-0 at half time if I remember correctly and I was like uh, and the noise was just unbelievable and uh, I, I still quote it as one of the best atmospheres I've ever experienced and uh, Reedy was another guy who was brilliant to deal with, by the way, and funny as also. Um, but a great team. And, uh, you know, it's a shame that Sunderland seem a long way from uh, those sort of days at the moment, but hopefully they can get back. It's a great. I mean, I've got to touch on that now you've mentioned that because obviously we'll have a lot of Sunderland <laughs> listeners in. But um, I was at that game and I think in my in my honest opinion, that's probably my favourite football memory from being younger. And I think I'd been 13, 14 at that time. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm feeling old myself saying that. Because um, I've been through the ringer with something since then. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That Kevin Phillips goal, I'll remember it till the, the day I die. The, the one touch, the bounce, the half volley. Um, and it was actually Gus Poyet that scored the, the one that got back in the second half. But... When you see teams like Sunderland, and I, you know, I will discuss where we're at at the moment and, and what's going on with us, and basically compared to what we were then, um, what is it like for a neutral to see a club like Sunderland in the situation that we're in when you've been involved in an atmosphere like that as a neutral that's taken you kind of not by surprise but taken you by storm, so to speak? Yeah, really, uh, really sad for me because um, I absolutely love covering football in the northeast. And uh, sorry to mention them as well, but Newcastle too, and Sunderland. Ever, ever the rotor came out for me, and I had a game at Sunderland on Newcastle back in the day. Then I was like big smiles because uh, great people, obviously great football area, and two uh, great clubs. It's been really sad to see Sunderland where they were. Um, I mean, they were a bit unlucky under Jack Ross. I thought. Uh, obviously, we know Jack quite well in Scotland and he did a terrific job at St Mirren or Alloa before that. St Mirren doing quite well at Hibs now. You know, they lost a playoff final. Um, I know they weren't that far off the pace when they got rid of him. I, I, I did have a read of some of the Sunderland fans at the time 
who didn't seem that keen on him for some reason. But I thought if personally if they stuck with him, maybe they might have finally got out of uh, of League One anyway. But um, I just hope that they can sort themselves out as soon as possible because I miss going there. I used to love the, I forget the name of the hotel, but it's near the, not far from the stadium. Just great being in the area and everything and uh, fantastic stadium to work at. I think when people ask me about why uh, I love Glasgow so much, there is similarities between the regions, not just the football, the people, the character, the kind of dark sense of humour and the kind of togetherness. Do you see similarities between the North East and, and Glasgow as, you know, as a city and, and the people? Yeah, I definitely do. And uh, I always say that people say, is there anything quite like the old firm? And I do quote, I've not seen Cardiff Swansea, which I think might be a bit like the old firm, but not totally, but close. I always quote Newcastle Sunderland because I was lucky enough to do a couple of those games as, as something that is good for pure passion. Although the games I did were at Newcastle and the fans were right up in the gods there. So it wasn't like they, I'd have preferred them to be a few more of them, but also further down so you get a proper atmosphere going. But yeah, definitely similarities um, in the character of the people of the of both areas and also in the in the way that they uh, obviously love their football. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably why I find an affinity with it as well. It feels very much like home or the home away from home, so to speak. Um, one big thing I wanted to touch on, because when I first moved to Glasgow was the... Uh, Literally, Rangers got demoted down to um, the third division, which was, I remember being very weird at the time. I went to a few games at Ibrox to, to watch Rangers because basically it was, it was the cheapest stadium to get to at the time. Um, I think Queen's Park was £20, Rangers was 17 and Celtic was 25 30 at the time because of the, the differences. And I think Rangers wanted people to get in. But I remember how much I looked forward to the old firm games. Um, and there was one just before they got demoted when I lived in Glasgow. And it did. You know, the banter in the city can get vicious sometimes. I get that, but it is, you know, it's something to get excited about. It's a great game, in my opinion, probably the best game in the world. I don't think there's any game, in my opinion, that's better than it. Maybe River Plate and Boca, potentially, but I've never been. Um, so when Rangers get demoted, you know, you're a commentator, and I know how much I look forward to the game since since I was little, really, with Rangers Celtic. Like everyone watches it. So as a commentator, it must be a huge buzz knowing that you're going to be commentating on that you know, four, possibly five, six times a season, depending on the cup games as well. Um, knowing that you haven't got a chance to commentate it at all for seasons on end when that happened, regardless of circumstances, how did you find that when you realised that there was going to be no old firm for a fair long time? Really tough, because, yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the games I look forward to the most, obviously. They're, they're, I've done nearly 60 of them now, incredibly, which I find amazing as well. But, yeah, fantastic games to do. Sure, it comes with excess baggage, we all know that, but it's still a unique yeah. experience and, and great games to cover, utterly 100 miles per hour, madness, crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, oh, God, it's, it's going back over old ground. Um I get people's point of view about punishment, but for me, I was I was utterly amazed that Rangers were sent into the bottom division. I remember doing their opening game actually at Peterhead uh, in August, which actually was going on December, judging by the weather that day at Peterhead. But um, just bizarre that they were uh, sent back down and had to come up through the divisions. And yeah, it was without the without the old firm games for a few years was really weird. You look back on it now and. Uh, I, I still find it amazing what happened to Rangers, but uh, I'm not going to talk about that too much because I'll be getting tweets from people giving me loads of grief about this, that, and everything. You're a Rangers fan. <laughs> it's <laughs> coming. <about> <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And I think my final question does kind of touch on that. I've mentioned a few times during this, obviously, Voice of the Old Firm, I think that that is sort of your status, but it's the Voice of Scottish Football as well. And there is more than the Old Firm to that to this division. Obviously, I've got a, an affinity for Motherwell because I've got a few of their fans that follow the podcast because I've had a few of their people on and some great people at that club as well. And same with Hibs. But um, one of my personal favourite games ever, not just Old Firm games, was the first one back. I think it was the second one back, the first or the second one back. Uh, the one where Barry Mackay scored from about 100 yards out. Because um, I remember i just moved to Mount Florida at that point. I'd just moved to the Hamden Park. And I remember the buzz just looking out my window from the top floor and, and seeing everyone just absolutely buzzing for it. I remember somebody had painted the yellow lines, um, red, uh, blue, red, and, and, and white. And then within days, that this, within hours, sorry, the Celtic fans had painted over it uh, back again with green and white. And someone said, you know, you kind of get the council to do it that fast. And I think that really sums up um, that, that kind of situation. But what was your memory of, of that game? Because obviously you commented on it. And I remember your commentary for Barry Mackay's goal. Um, I remember your commentary throughout the game. But was that a bigger buzz than you'd had in a long time for an old firm game? Scottish Cup semi-final was that? Yeah. The, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic game. Um, uh, yeah. Crikey. I mean... Um, that was kind of reminiscent of when they met in the 2002 Scottish Cup final, which was, yeah. uh, uh, and obviously went Rangers away then as well. But um, no, that was a that was a good. It was just back, good to be back doing the games because you realise what you've been missing. In, in fairness, and uh, they're just uh, the games are just unreal. And you know, even sometimes you get very rarely you get a nil nil or a one one and all that. But even those, there's so much going on in these games, and uh, it's end to end, crazy. Um, it's, but it's the games we all want to do. It's the games players want to play in. It's the games referees want to referee, uh, even. And uh, <clears throat> same with commentators. So it was just good to have it back. But that was certainly uh, certainly some semi-final and uh, some game for Rangers. And the final itself that year, of course, uh, was extraordinary too. I think, last but not least, because I've tried to explain it as best I can, I think you're probably a better place to do it. To people who maybe haven't been on old firm or, or haven't watching all fun game I know nothing about Glasgow how would you describe it as someone who's neutral or had never ever been one or, or knew anything about it uh, just be prepared for everything and be prepared for the atmosphere obviously when we had crowds I mean if we end up doing the first old firm game behind closed doors that's going to be the most bizarre experience ever but I uh, I know a couple of people who've come up and watched it for the first time and, and I know exactly what they're going to say after the game and, and exactly what they look like when the when the teams come out the tunnel in an old firm game, I always stay quiet because I love the noise from the fans and that kind of carries the teams out onto the pitch. And I don't have to speak for 20 seconds, which will be a relief to many people, no doubt. But you just sometimes you can just soak up the noise. And I, and I say just, just listen to the noise and the passion. Sure, it gets a bit, you know, uh, poisonous is probably the right word now and again. Yeah. But, which is a shame. I mean, I, I, I don't... A lot, I actually don't understand a lot of all that stuff, but I prefer less of that. But the, but still, the atmosphere is fantastic. And um, yeah, people are left open-mouthed and almost speechless after they've uh, they've watched an all-firm game. And I always say to people, if you can get to one, not that it's easy, um, but if you can, it, it should be on your bucket list because it is, it is an experience. And to be able to have commentated on I think it's 56, 57 of them. Um, it's just been an immense privilege, even though one or two of them have been a bit uh, mad crazy along the way. Ian, thanks very much for your time. Absolutely perfect, mate. Thank you so much. Pleasure. 